research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down. I'm joined today, as always, by, with my co-host, Eric Eggers. Eric, thanks for being here. Hey, it's my pleasure. You know, I'm, we're one of the few people in the country who's willing to show up for work these days. So <laughs> That's exactly right, and that's the topic we're going to discuss today. Has the safety net become a hammock? Now, I love hammocks, but on a national scale, this has become a massive problem. Uh, we have 7 million jobs that are opened that have not been filled. Uh, we've got 4 million who in April alone just quit their jobs. Uh, and a recent survey found that only 10% of people who consider themselves unemployed are actively looking for work. That's quite remarkable. Yeah, those statistics are all well and good. I'm more concerned when, when I'm at the Atlanta airport and I have to wait 30 minutes because there's only two people working at the restaurant at the gate, then it's a problem. <laughs> Seven million people out of work, that's fine. It's a big country. You know what I mean? 707, I think it was 770,000 people uh, quit their job in April that work in the restaurant business. And if you talk anecdotally to anybody, they'd be like, yeah, it seems like we're having a hard time getting good service. And you talk to people that run business that no, I'm having an incredibly challenging time hiring qualified people or people and by qualified we mean people that are willing to show up to work so it is sort of insane and i think people are actually starting to experience this in their day-to-day -day lives in a real way and i think it sort of all connects back to stuff we've been talking about at the government accountability institute for a long time you when you say hammock you mean presumably uh, I mean, you know, your penchant for like overly luxurious home decor aside, but it's I think you mean the idea that people are becoming too comfortable outside of the labor force. That's right. And we're going to look at this today in a very interesting way. This topic of of uh, unemployment and the covid benefits uh, may be eroding the work ethic. Much of the focus is on the person laying in the hammock. Uh, and I think that's a legitimate point. We are going to talk about that, but we're also going to talk about the hammock maker. In other words, this is what's <laughs> often overlooked in this conversation, which is when you have these large, vast government programs, whether it's a school lunch program, whether it's unemployment insurance, whether it's the so-called Obama phones, there are actually large major corporations that benefit from the expansion of government programs. And the point being, there's a crony capitalism aspect where large corporations actually want more Americans to be dependent uh, on, on these government assistance programs because it puts more money in their pocket. Yeah, it, it's sort of counterintuitive, but people always think about, hey, unemployment's been expanded, so people get an extra $300 a week or whatever it is. We've seen a growth in terms of SNAP or EBT benefits summer feeding programs that are conducted through schools that were heavily lobbied by food vendors through the Department of Agriculture. They've been expanded as well in the COVID era. And that's and that's all well and good. We want people to be able to have access to to resources that they need them. Right. And look, and there may be a, a variety of reasons that people choose not to re-engage in the workplace. I mean, just 
societally, I think people are, there's been lots of studies about this, are sort of rethinking their relationship with work. They no, wanna... no, wait, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> what is that? How do you rethink your relationship? Don't you work because you want to eat? Well, listen, Boomer, I'm going to break it down for you, okay? So, no, I think <laughs> people, people want to eat, but I think they're realizing that, hey, it's if it's possible to do remote work, if it's possible to have more time at home, maybe I don't have to be locked into this one set thing. Right. And there's obviously been, you know, as they talk about expanding or increasing the minimum wage, is, it, is my time worth the $8 or $12 an hour or whatever? else it is right so there's there's a few other things at play here but i think your point and our point today is that while people are out of work there's a lot of corporations that actually make money as a result yeah and this this is really uh very remarkable let's talk about the ebt program or sometimes it's called the food stamp program which again our view is that that people that are in need uh, should have access to that. We, we don't want hunger in America. But the EBT program has become this massive entity. And a lot of people don't realize when you get that EBT card mm-hmm. uh, that allows you to go to the grocery store, uh, you can go to Walmart, for example. You can go now on Amazon and actually have food delivered through the EBT program. All these corporations... Uh, uh, of course, make money because they're selling products that are being sold by the federal government. But there's also companies that actually manage those cards and they have names like JP Morgan, a large financial institutions, and they get fees every time somebody uses their EBT card, right? Yeah. I mean, just from, you know, to the point about Amazon, right? From March to June in 2020, Jeff Bezos's net worth went up $48 billion. So that's for a couple months during the COVID pandemic. Now, there's a variety of reasons for that, but I think that the fact that Amazon is now taking EBT cards and they got into the grocery delivery business, and they tripled their grocery pickup locations and to support customers during that. I mean, that's an example of a company that made money. Right. But as the EBT program expanded, yeah, then these corporate vendors, as you noted, JP Morgan was one of them. We actually did a report and actually did a Sean Hannity Fox News television special that exposed the corporate connections behind EBT uh, relationships. And the then CEO of JP Morgan was on a CNBC interview, I think, and said, no, we, uh, you know, SNAP program expansions is sort of integral to our business model. How significant a part of the bottom line comes from, from your program? I mean, it's a, this business is a very important business to JP Morgan. It's, a, it's an important business in terms of its size and scale. We also, we also uh, regard it as very important uh, in the sense that we are delivering a very useful social function here. We are a key part of this benefit delivery mechanism. Right now, volumes have gone through the roof in the past couple of years. So we, you know, the, the good news from JP Morgan's perspective is mm-hmm. the, infra- the infrastructure that we built, you know, has been, right. able, has been able to cope with that increase in volume. And then all people with these big time portfolios like, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm doing business with the same company that's doing, you know, food stamps. That's right. And, and then so they actually got, got out of the business, right? But they're still major corporations. Xerox has a subsidy that's been involved in it. There's a couple other corporations that are involved as well. And they have the contracts. And this is one of the things that we focus on the special. Their contracts are actually set up to the detriment of the American taxpayer because, you know, what we're footing the bill on this, right? So, hey, people that need food, go get the food. What we're sort of not into is waste, fraud, abuse. Well, for the corporations, they don't care because the more waste, fraud, and abuse you have, that means more swipes, and these corporations get paid by the swipe. When cards get replaced or lost, then these corporations get paid because they get to issue replacement cards. That's in the contract as well. So I think it's just about a, it's a way of looking at things as like while we think of the money as going to the neediest, 
there's the the opposite of the needies. These major corporations are making a ton of money because they've lobbied and have these connections with these politicians to get these contracts. Right, and they, and they're 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 actually incentivized. These large corporations actually lobby to oppose reforms that would protect taxpayers. So, for example, a lot of people say that that, and I would agree that you ought to have an ID system with an EBT card. In other words, that if you show up with an EBT card and you're buying something, there should be a photo on it to make sure it's not been stolen. That 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 the original uh, owner of the EBT card didn't sell it for cash to somebody else. But that's actually p- opposed uh, by a lot of these major financial institutions because they're incentivized to have cards replaced, uh, to have as many cards in circulation as possible. The other problem you have is, you know, uh, if this is a nutrition program, right, it's called a a, a nutrition program. Well, that's what you, SNAP stands for, is like Supplemental Nutrition and Assistance Program. That's exactly right. The question is, does nutrition include pork rinds and Mountain Dew? Now, I'm not big on pork rinds. I do like an occasional Mountain Dew. But the question would be, are those nutritious? I think most people would say no. But the fact of the matter is, uh, large companies like PepsiCo, for example, have resisted reforms to focus EBT purchases on actually nutritious products because they realize if you suddenly said that you couldn't use your EBT card to buy Mountain Dew or to buy snack foods, it would put a huge dent in their bottom line. So the question is, are these programs ultimately designed and controlled for the benefit of the recipients or are they being controlled and steered for the benefit of the corporations? And I think we all know realistically what the answer to that question is. The answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, the answer is yes. They're designed to do both. That's exactly right. No, it's true. And that's just one example of a program that as it gets expanded in the COVID pandemic era, these corporations stand to make not insignificant amount of money as a result of it, right? We've also done studies in addition to the SNAP program. We've done studies over the idea of the government-assisted phones that you could receive. Yeah. Now, you've noted that they are somewhat derisively referred to as Obama phones. Why is that? Well, because they were started under Barack Obama, the idea being that we have to have, um, uh, or expanded, I should say, under yeah. Barack Obama. They were they uh, were launched initially, but really expanded under Barack Obama after the financial crisis. And the idea is you need to have uh, individuals need to be digitally connected today. Um, and, you know, you can debate that point, but the, what it's what it's morphed into uh, is that the government now uh, buys phones uh, for people who are on public assistance. And you actually ran across uh, a reference online to one of these companies that was all excited because under the pandemic, um, they've actually expanded access uh, to phones. And and it's really interesting, the language you found, because it highlights the sort of excited nature of sort of grab all these free things that you can get uh, because of COVID-8. Well, and just to show you the way in which these corporations all in some way work together and work on the benefit of one another, the qualification for the free government phone program, one of the ways in which you qualify is by qualifying for SNAP, right? Right. And one of the ways in which you qualify for SNAP is if you happen to be in a location where, you know, these summer feeding programs. And so it's all sort of like, hey, if you qualify for one, then you get the other. And so it's great for the needy citizen. I mean, maybe it's not so great for the taxpayer, but it's especially great for these corporate partners that happen to be providing the services. But yeah, if you go to the website, freegovernmentcellphones.net, uh, which is a real website, 
And it says, state providing cell phones from the government to low-income resident. You can find a Lifeline cell phone service provider in 49 states plus Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico. And if you act quickly, because some of the eligibility is ending, because the COVID pandemic seems to be getting better, uh, then you can often, and this is a quote from the website, some states you might get unlimited calling, texting, and even some data allowance. Other states offer lesser but still very good plans. So lots of plans. And again, let's look at this. Uh, not simply from the standpoint of we're giving free phones to people. Why are we giving free phones to people? Let's step back, peel the uh, the, the layer back, and look at who's really gaining this. Uh, who's gaming this are the cell phone companies, the companies that produce the phones, because they've now got a market that they might not have had access to before, and the federal government is paying them good amount of money to buy these phones to distribute free to other people. So phone companies and telecom companies uh, are actually making good money courtesy of this program. So they certainly don't want it to go away. Yeah, I think that's the key, right? Is it's the incentive structure. It's the perversion of an incentive structure where you now have if, if needy people should benefit from a program. Absolutely. But should major corporations be in a position where the worse things get economically for the citizenry, potentially the better they get for the companies that are providing these services. And I think that's where you get to a position where I think you use this Ronald Reagan quote earlier. That's why stuff never goes away. Right. Right. I mean, that's why these programs don't get smaller. The better that people get, but wait, this is a major business model for us. Right. So we're going to make sure that eligibility just becomes lessened then. That's right. And uh, so let's switch to another uh, program again, a a program that I think is well-intentioned and a program that serves uh, the needs of people, the free lunch program. Mm Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about the free lunch program is that it, it's really been designed and set up to maximize the number of free lunches. Um, it's something called community eligibility provision that basically allows school districts to say that if 40 percent of the people in your district up, up, you know, can get public assistance, you can give free lunch to 100 percent of your students. Which is remarkable. So you could have in in a lot of smaller towns, uh, you're going to have in inequalities of income. You're going to have people that, that that qualify, but you're also going to have some wealthy people going to the same public school who are now getting free lunch. Yeah, if they want to. And then what's crazy about it is like, okay, people can have free food, and obviously that benefits the companies that make the food, then sell it to the schools, the U.S. through the U.S. Department of Agriculture. If you ever want to have a fun time, you can go and look at. The companies that lobby the USDA on some of these bills, you know, Sodexo and their subsidiaries have been a part of it. And they mention that the, uh, you know, this is a, is a major part of their business and some of their financial disclosures. But then if you want to get into, again, where, where are the incentives, right? And so the incentives, unfortunately, are only to expand participation. So in our research into this program, historically, both the school lunch program and the summer feeding programs, we found these school districts that will be having raffles and they'll be raffling things off like iPhones and iPads to try to get people to sign up for because they want to get their numbers. So up. wait a minute, they're actually giving away gifts to encourage people to get free lunch, which, which is kind of weird, right? I yes. mean, cause, cause you would think if you need the food, you'd find the food. You wouldn't, you wouldn't need to be bribed with a cell phone to get it. Right. No, it's, it's, it's remarkable. And to just show how 
the nature of this business. You know, we're not talking about um, the school lunch program giving money to sort of a local farmer who's providing vegetables for the lunch. This is a global business. I mean, two of the biggest operators in the school lunch program, the biggest beneficiaries are the Compass Group and Sodexo, which are based in the United Kingdom and France. Dope. I mean, in other words, the school the school lunch program is a global enterprise that, that means we are shoveling huge amounts of money to major multinational corporations. This is not going to mom and Joe's bakery down the street. I just love that we're finally taking down big lunch. <laughs> it is a global corrupt enterprise. Or we should déjeuner grand or whatever. <laughs> so the the uh, the Reagan quote that you alluded to is Reagan saying that the the thing that you will find uh, most. Uh, approaches eternal life in this world is a government program. Mm. And that's the real question is we look at COVID that we've overcome, um, you know, remarkable that, that really um, a little more over a year after all of this started, uh, it's basically been swept away. The question is, are a lot of these government programs going to go away or, or has the expansion of them uh, in the light of this crisis um, created the justification? Because it's always easy to start an entitlement program. It's really, really hard to take it away. Well, I think what we are finding is that once a corporation gets involved in a partnership with the government in terms of providing a service like this, uh, they want to stay in that partnership, right? And as long as they have the right relationship, it's not necessarily about their performance. So, for example, Deloitte, which is obviously a major consulting company, they had the contract to provide Florida's unemployment assistance. Well, once COVID happened and unemployment needs ran through the roof, they realized this is a massive problem. They got big time backlogs. And so for many weeks, people that would have rightfully qualified for unemployment assistance couldn't get it for a long time. It was kind of a major scandal here in Florida. Well, so they brought in somebody else to kind of help fix that problem. But that didn't mean Deloitte was out of the Florida government contract business. They actually given a new contract for over $100 million to help with the Medicaid modernization. So it's like, well, I hope I don't need that anytime soon. It's called failing up. Right. right. Uh, you know, Kentucky had a problem. They hired Ernst & Young, and that's been sort of not without its problems. And so I think that's, I think the, the goal of, of today's show, right, the goal of this topic is to, to help people understand, because I think it is counterintuitive, that public assistance programs, while intended for the needy, tend to benefit powerful elites more than anybody else. And that's one of the reasons, above all, why they don't go away. That's right. And also, they're they're structured and designed, because of the, the powerful interest behind them, uh, to... Uh, not incorporate or include measures that right. will deal with issues like fraud. So, for example, um, let's switch now to the, the issue of unemployment benefits. Uh, study out that says as much as $400 billion, that's with a B, dollars of unemployment benefits during COVID may have been fraudulent. That amounts to 50%, almost half of the unemployment money that's been put into circulation. I mean, to me... That is stunning. And and the research shows that some of this money has ended up in China, Russia, or other countries where you have these, uh, you know, international criminal syndicates uh, that, of course, are setting up hundreds or thousands of, 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 of uh, dummy accounts uh, and then having the money shipped overseas. The question is, how is it in an era when we have all these capabilities with technology to sort of pinpoint our location, uh, you know, with, with using our, our fingerprint for identification? How is it 
that $400 billion can be stolen from a public assistance program. And I would argue, Eric, that part of it, it is designed Mm -hmm. to be, quote unquote, flexible, but also because there are are winners in that kind of arrangement. One of those being the federal government, which just wants as much money in circulation as possible. They don't care if it goes to a legitimate need. Or to occur. And if a company that's administering the contract, if they get paid based on the amount, the volume of customers served, right, or the number of claims that they've met, then they're not incentivized to, to say that, hey, there's, I mean, what are the fraud prevention incentives in the contract? And I think based on our analysis, there are very few, if any. That's exactly right. Well, there's a, a uh, theory or a concept in economics, and it's called the uh, Baptist Bootlegger Alliance. Uh-oh. Have you ever heard of this? Um I mean, I'm, I've heard of the Baptist part because I'm clearly very devout. Bootlegger, no. I'm, I think you're more of a bootlegger than you are a Baptist. Hey, now. But that's, <laughs> My parents are listening to this. <laughs> but, but, but here's the concept, and it really makes sense. If you go back and look at prohibition, right? Alcohol is banned. Yep. There were two powerful groups that had nothing in common that both wanted the ban to stay in place. One were Baptists who felt that alcohol consumption was terrible and destructive and and a sin. So they were opposed to getting rid of prohibition, but they had this unofficial alliance with the bootleggers. Most of the bootleggers, I would dare say almost all of them, were not Baptists. <laughs> they, they believed in alcohol consumption, but they wanted prohibition in place. Why? Because they could then charge a higher price that's what I would argue we have uh, taking place today. You have well-intentioned people who have set up these government assistance programs with the notion that we are genuinely trying to achieve a social good, mm-hmm. just like the Baptists were with prohibition. You can agree or disagree, but the motivation was pretty good and idealistic. But you have this other group, the bootleggers during prohibition, and I would say today these large connected corporations who have other motives that are financial um, that make it very, very hard for us to change and reform the public assistance program, just like, you know, getting rid of prohibition was very difficult for a long time. No, I, I hate to say it, but I think you're right. And <laughs> no, and I, I think that's exactly right. And I think that the, the when people sort of fall into the traditional, hey, left versus right or yeah. anything else, then I think they miss out on really what's happening, which is the global elite, the incredibly connected interests, and then what they sort of sell us as the narrative of why they shouldn't be bothered. And so I think, no, I think that's exactly right. And it's counterintuitive. So, uh, you know, to to ask a Peter Schweitzer question, what should be done about it? <laughs> well, I think what should be done about it is we need to clean up the influence of these mm-hmm. of these uh, corporations. So and that we're making decisions on programs based on like what actually benefits the program recipients and not the people administering the program. That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, Milton Friedman, the Nobel Prize winning economist, you know, once said, I'm not pro business. I'm pro free market. Mm-hmm. And what does he mean? You know, we we. I believe that the free market is the best economic system ever created, and it works well. But there's a difference between being pro-business and pro-free market. What do I mean? In this particular case, you don't have a free market. You have a government that is writing laws that is being influenced by the businesses that are benefiting from that government program. That's not a free market. So I think what we need to do is we need to, dare I say it, shame these companies. We need to expose it for what it is. Uh, That's what we're trying to do on this program. And we need to be alert and keep in mind that oftentimes what is going on below the surface in these government programs is really where we need to pay attention. You can look at the top and say, yes, there are people out of work. There are people that need school lunch. That's all true. 
But when the program is structured, it's not being structured with those people in mind. Well, that's literally what happened with JP Morgan, right? That's why they got out of the business because it was exposed. They're in the snap business and people said, wait, what? And they were embarrassed. That's right. That's right. Well, this has been another episode of The Drill Down. Eric Eggers uh, has joined me. Uh, if you're interested in the work we're doing, uh, please visit us on thedrilldown.com. Yeah, and just as a reminder, we'll be doing these each week. Where we'll be giving you information you can't get everywhere else. So please check us out at thedrilldown.com and on every social media platform. And if you're interested in fighting cronyism and corruption, join us on the next episode of The Drill Down. <laughs>